Blog Talk Radio. Well, good morning, everyone. Good afternoon to our friends on the East Coast. This is Stuart Crawford here on Small Business IT Radio for another great program. And I want to, uh, you know, kind of, kind of advise you that we're on a, a weird schedule this month. We had a lot of uh, special shows come up, and we're out of our normal Friday morning schedule. But trust me, after Easter break, we'll be back on our regular uh, program of Fridays at noon Eastern. But, you know, to accommodate uh, certain speakers and, uh, and guests, we want to make sure we can, um, you know, hit uh, into their schedules as well. So we're a little off of our regular schedule, but it's great to have, uh, you know, the people that we've had. We had Bob Berg on earlier this month with Arvin Sorensen, and today we have another great program with, uh, with Dr. Joseph Michelli, who wrote a wonderful book. It's got one of those books that, you know, I highly recommend. I've uh, been reading it for the last couple of weeks myself, and, uh, you know, it's just one of those must-read books if you're in sales, in marketing, anything to do with customer service. You know, it's just one of those um, one of those books that uh, you know I highly recommend. So uh, we are available. We are on live on Blog Talk Radio. I want to thank the the kind folks at Blog Talk Radio today um, for uh, for hosting us. If you want to dial in live and talk to Joseph or myself, you can dial us uh, call us in at six four six seven one six eight three seven two. We are twittering or tweeting at on twitter.com with the hash code or the the search code of ha, uh, pound or the hash code Starbucks. So hash Starbucks. You can get on Twitter and follow us on Twitter. Uh, we are, uh, you know, we have the chat window open on Blog Talk Radio. We have all kinds of communication mechanisms open for, uh, for you to ask questions. But with, without further ado, I want to introduce our, our guest today, Dr. Joseph Michelli, the author of the Starbucks Experience. Uh, well, well written book about uh, you know customer service and uh, telling the Starbucks story. You know, and and Joseph can do a lot more. Uh, talk about the book a lot better than I can. So I'm going to introduce Joseph. Joseph, good morning. Uh, welcome uh, to you. Uh, how are things in Colorado today? Absolutely gorgeous. A gorgeous day in Colorado. But we, it's always that way. But we'd like everyone to think it's snowing constantly so they don't, you know, try to come here and stay. Well, just, you know, just try, fly up two and a half hours and you can uh, you can get some snow. We had uh, eight inches on the weekend. We're forecasting another couple tomorrow. So uh, you're more than welcome to take that quick flight up uh, to Calgary. I, uh, I get up to Calgary enough to appreciate the beauty of the snow and then try to get home and thaw out. <laughs> well, welcome, uh, Joseph, and thanks for uh, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Tell us about uh, you know your uh, your background. Are you have always been a writer? What uh, what maybe what uh, what inspired you to write this book about Starbucks? You know, the irony is my uh, I, I keep telling people on my staff that I want to be an author someday, even though I have a best selling book or or so. Um, you know, it's one of those things that there are people who are great writers, and I, I love, you know, the throes of the world who write every day, and, and writing is just an extension of self. For me, I, I love to find great stories that are happening around me in business and study those companies and understand what brought them greatness and then share those ideas with people, and writing is a necessary evil to make that happen. And what was, Joseph, what was the inspiration behind, uh, you know, following Starbucks and telling their story? Because, you know, Starbucks is not uh, – you know that the well kept secret in North America or worldwide culture today. You know it's it's made a great name for itself, and I'm sure, like any other small business, when they first started out, they had their trials and their tribulations and their struggles. What did you find inspiring about Starbucks that made you want to write about them? Well, I for me, the story of Starbucks that I tell is a lot about the early days, going from you know one store to 37 countries worth of influence and. 
you know, I, I struggle right now, for example, just dealing with some of the challenges in retail and the way the market's changed and, and whether or not Starbucks has stayed true to its principles. So we can address that later. But this story that I tell comes from a very small uh, single store that sold ground coffee and tea and sold it in, to high-end customers who wanted to come and get quality coffee and also sold it in the business-to-business space to restaurants in the area and went from being a provider of a a commodity, if you will, slash good by the time they roasted it uh, from a goods provider to really an experiential provider. And how do you elevate your product offering from a product or service to something that really is more experiential on the on the part of the user? And what's the value proposition that you get from doing that? That was really what I saw, the genius of this brand and how it really catapulted itself to uh, an international stage. And in your book, uh, Joseph, the, the tagline is the five principles of turning the ordinary into extraordinary. And a lot of IT professionals who tune into this show regularly are thinking, okay, Starbucks, great coffee, IT, technical support. You know, at the, at the core, and the, it's still about customer service. So in, this, uh, in our program, I want to kind of touch base on the five principles. But, you know, Joseph, you know, IT services, uh, delivering coffee, and it, it's all about customer service. You know, from an all-up uh, all top level, what what do you, did you see with Starbucks on their customer service that uh, you know anybody can take in any business? You know we have IT professionals generally tune in for this, but we have other professionals. But from an all up you know customer service approach, what is you know that that secret that Starbucks had? Well, and and let me just say that if you don't have a quality product, um, all the service in the world is not going to get you to the success of a Starbucks. You have to start with operational excellence um, in your. IT knowledge base, your you know your architecture, all the things that you do that you deliver by way of product that has to be nailed. Um, but most people are really good at that. I mean, it, it gets down to the fact that if you're not passionate about the core knowledge area, you typically don't succeed anyway. Um, and so that's got to be there. And the coffee was there for Starbucks. There's no doubt about it. But start, coffee is about as ordinary as you get, really. I mean, it's been around forever. Uh, if you look at archaeological studies, it's likely that at some point we were chewing coffee beans before we had fire, um, maybe putting it in the in in whale blubber, if you will. And so we had this really great energy bar with high fat and high caffeine uh, in prehistoric days. And so it's really an ordinary product, but how do you elevate that product so that you're not charging 25 cents for it at a truck stop somewhere? And, and the answer to that really is not only having the quality product that differentiates, but there are plenty of people who have quality product. So what is your service experience that makes you different than the service experience somebody's going to get from a competitor? And how do you elevate that out to a level that's just so well designed that the same excellence of design that goes into your product goes into your service delivery and you're creating something that has more of a connected position with a customer and top of mind differentiation? Well, I think that's the key is, uh, you know, even in today's troubled economy, I mean, I'm not going to use that as an excuse, Joseph, to talk about, uh, you know, the lack of sales. I believe if you have a quality product like Starbucks has with coffee, and you know, I'm so happy that uh, Pike's Place has made it into Canada, has a regular day-to-day uh, staple there. Um, you know, if you don't have a quality product or a quality service, you know, I think there's a, a good balance there. You can have the best product in the world. If you don't know how to deliver it with service, you're going to suffer. If you have great service but a poor product, you're going to suffer. Uh, you know, it's, it, it all starts with the, you know, I like what you said about the quality product there. I want to, I, and I know, roll product into service, yeah. actually, believe it or not. I, I say that service is this. I have it really very simple in my mind. Service is a flawless product. 
delivered exactly, exactly as people want it and in an environment of caring. And, in fact, we know there are no flawless products, and we know that, that service delivery is always, you know, there's something in the supply chain or something can go wrong and there are breakdowns. And so the question is, did you care that the product wasn't perfect or that there were delivery problems? And did you care so consistently? And was your caring so seamless and integrated into the fabric of, your, of the delivery that people really see you as something different? And, you know, you can make a mistake as long as you care and get it right, uh, people actually like you more than if you hadn't made a mistake in the first place. So services is is kind of integrated with product excellence, in my opinion. You have to have the operational excellence and a customer experience that that overrides that. That's just you know pretty impressive. And and Starbucks did it. I mean, what they did in very simple terms is they brought the European coffee house experience to the United States, and they imported that savoring over a cup of coffee phenomena that Europe has known for the longest of time, but that Americans didn't really understand. Our coffee houses were either countercultural messages in the '60s, or they were, you know, they were truck stops. They were, you know, not something that that elevated the opportunity for conversation. And I think Starbucks understood that, at least the leadership in the beginning days did, and they created that living room of the community that was so sorely lacking in our overly, uh, I think, impersonal culture that we live in. So um, they made business personal, and I think that's a key. You know, one of the things that I would say to IT professionals more than anything is that because of the potential for the product technology to impersonalize the relationship between you, the provider of the service, and the product itself, it becomes all the more important to lay on a uniquely personal, connected relationship that that really just enhances the, the greatness of your product. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, uh, Joseph, on that because that's, um, to me that's the key to uh, – Extraordinary success in in the IT business, or if you're selling cars, or whatever your uh, whatever product you're uh, you're providing to uh, to consumers, it all it's it's all about the relationships. And we, you know, a good you know, I'll tell a little story about our experience this morning. Is we uh, with our chamber of commerce, we have a breakfast club every second Tuesday, and this morning was our our day to get together. And we started with 20 people around the table a few years ago. And we had 70 people out this morning, and you can say the. Uh, you know the economy is driving more people out to network and 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 share uh, share time together. But there's a core group of us that we all have that same uh, reason for being there, and it's all about the relationships. And we rarely talk about our businesses now because we all know what each other does. But I you know I agree. It, you know the relationship is key. And what unique experience can you create for your for your clients today uh, is uh, is critical uh, to success. And you know one one of the things I I, I share with with others in our IT business is you know, we do 90% of what our competitors do. But what's that 10% differentiator that we can do differently than our competitors? And we have a unique story at Bulletproof that we share on our, you know, on our website and all that. And I'm not going to get into it today because we want to talk about what you know, your findings were, Joseph. But, and I, I want to stress that to our, to our listeners is what's that 10%? Because I'm sure 90% of the businesses out there all do the same thing. And I'm look, if you look at the coffee business, I'm sure you can take Starbucks, Tim Hortons, uh, you know the the localized uh, you know Seattle's best coffee and those other ones that are geographically centralized. You know ninety percent, Joe, so they do all the same thing. What's that ten percent difference? Is that what you found when you're oh, looking at Starbucks? Oh, without a doubt. Um, first off, let me let you know that Seattle's best is owned by Starbucks, but not something that people would typically know because 
it's a brand that Starbucks has kind of separated from itself because it offers a different type of product, a less bitter coffee, if you will, less so, roasted. So, like coffee. creating their own competition type thing. Uh, absolutely, yeah, and, yeah. and so, and, and also to decrease the sense of ubiquity that they're everywhere. I mean, it's bad enough that you know I I, I almost started my book by saying what's green and white and found all over, and the answer is obviously Starbucks. So you don't want to get to the sense where people feel like you're too big um, to be caring. So um, anyway, but, but to get to your issue, what's that 10%? If I could take you back a book before the Starbucks book when I wrote about the Pike Place Fish Market in Seattle, and for those who haven't been to Seattle, it's in an area that's just a beautiful open-air farmer's market, and they sell fish at this little fish stand, 1,200 square foot of retail space. And then if you look at all the – there are four other fish stands right in the same geographical area, along with produce stands and flower stands and, and street musicians. A gorgeous place to be. But this particular fish market, called the Pike Place Fish Market, was number four out of four. Um, and, it, and they were selling fish, the same fish that the others were selling. They just weren't selling as many of them. And if you looked at it, it was a really terrible experience. You'd go to this little fish stand, and it was dead. I mean, the, the fishmongers could care less about selling you anything. The, the product was a fish morgue. I mean, you don't get much more dead than that. And so the experience was not lively. Customers would much prefer to be dealing with the, the street musicians or deal with the flowers or the produce than the dead, cold, slimy fish. Ultimately, by changing the experience, by laying on top of the product a real playful, engaging energy, that fish market has actually become a destination where people come to see the fishmongers throwing fish and their playful antics. And literally, not only has their sales gone from, from last to first, but now they are first in such a powerful position of market share that the other fish markets in the area cumulatively do not sell what that one fish market does. And, and the irony is they all sell the same fish from the same distributor. So the 90% is that all the fish are the same. The 10% is that this experience is qualitatively different. They are playful, lively, engaged, and they draw the attention of customers worldwide. Many people don't buy fish there, but they have an experience there. They have a photo taken with the fishmongers, and that experience ke keeps a conversation going back home wherever they came from that causes more people to come down to that fish market, and ultimately some sub-percentage of those people actually buy fish, which is all social networking is, really. I mean, it is that not who you know, but who they know phenomena. So if you can drive experiences that cause them to talk about you, you create the, cu the currency of conversation, which then continues to spin out into later sales indirectly. And, that, and, that's, and that's so uh, so critical is that experience. This is Small Business IT Radio, and we're on with uh, Dr. Joseph Acelli, the author of uh, The Starbucks Experience. We're talking about uh, the book and some of his findings there uh, today. So, Joseph, I want to kind of dig in uh, into the book. I mean, I, I'm a little ways into it myself. Uh, great read, like I mentioned. I want to co cover the, the five principles. And, you know, Starbucks has their little green apron book, which I have a copy of. One of my friends uh, manages the ones around the corner from my home. Uh, you know, we have, a, we have that saying, too, what's... Uh, Green and uh, white, and all over Calgary at, at Starbucks. We, <laughs> I love that that joke. I'm going to use that if you don't mind. No but, problem. Uh, uh, you know, it's, you know, I'm in, you know, I'm in the customer services business. I deliver IT services to uh, the small and mid-sized business market in in Alberta, and customer service is at the heart of what we do. Uh, you know, one of the things I find, uh, you know, in our industry is, you know, IT professionals are quick to to blame. They blame Microsoft. They blame the competitive landscape. And what I love about Starbucks 
is principle number one that you talk about is make it make it your own. Starbucks employees, you know, they take ownership on you know everything that goes on. I rarely hear you know an employee at a Starbucks blaming a supplier or or the environment or whatever happened. You know, let's talk about make it your own. What's what did you find in this core principle, the first principle that you talk about in the book? I, I think from the moment that you hire someone into your business, you have to you have to groom them into an ownership stake in your business. So from the onset, the conversations, a lot of it is about selecting people, not about hiring them, selecting them because they have the they have what it takes to be a, an owner of the experience. And I think from the beginning you start saying we're in a business of creating experiences and your job is, yes, technical and operational, but it's also the experience creation. So it, you are responsible for owning the creation of the experiences for every guest who walks into this business or every person to whom you consult. So that's that's part of the messaging from day one. Now realize that they're having an experience within the business too. The employee does. So you have to think about what experience do I want them to leverage out on behalf of the customer and then am I delivering that experience for them? And I think Starbucks does a very good job of designing the onboarding experience that's consistent with the kind of welcoming that they want their their employees to have of the guest. So I think first you have to have a real clear understanding what is the experience of your brand. And at Starbucks, that brand is we're creating the the living room of a community. So that means when you hire people, you have to tell them that's our job is to create the living room. That means that if somebody comes into a Starbucks with not a laptop but a desktop and they want to bring their desktop in and plug it in in the wall, well, what's our job? Our job is to create the living room of the community. There should be no messages of that's not okay for you to bring your desktop into a Starbucks. Uh, the message should be welcome to your living room. And so my point here is that you need to know what it is you want to create by way of an experience so you can tell that to your people and so that you can also create the same kind of experience for them as they onboard with you in the business. And then you keep that alive during their relationship over the course of until they get their gold watch, as I like to say. I mean, you really want to make sure that you've mapped out all the touch points for your employees that reinforce the concept of they are owners of this business. And, you know, you mentioned in the book, uh, you know, about being genuine and, and talk about uh, the genuine experience that Starbucks uh, em- employees uh, provide. And, you know, they, they do have that ownership uh, principle in them. You know, we talk about other companies that do well. Uh, we, you know, we have a great example here in Canada uh, with WestJet Airlines where their uh, slogan is our employees are owners and they care just like owners would. And I think that's critical that any business with employees uh, instills that, that level of uh, responsibility onto their team. Uh, but, you know, one of the stories here uh, in the book that really caught my eye was around the, in the Be Genuine part of, uh, you know, Starbucks. Uh, you know, Starbucks actually doesn't call their uh, their employees employees. They call them partners, which is which is key. You know, that, that just elevates that uh, ownership just to the next level. But you, you tell a story about uh, a, a barrister named Angela who uh, – you know, had a woman come in who was her first time into Starbucks and just ordered a plain coffee. And uh, Angela created that uh, that experience of being genuine. Do you, can you uh, go into that uh, story just a little bit uh, more, there, Joseph? Well, yeah, yeah. This is a our Starbucks is a strange culture for people who haven't been there. I mean, the the you know people are called baristas, the uh, servers uh, from the Italian bartender term. Uh, the drinks are all named strangely. Um, there are, it's a fairly intimidating menu from somebody who's unwashed in the culture of Starbucks. So one of the things that you try to help people do is to become an insider in that experience. So uh, the job is to translate the foreign and help somebody experience and discover 
which is, you know, one of the great things in life is to find some, you know, new artist that, you, you know, nobody else knows about and then know them before they become famous and share that with all your friends. But the same is true with a great drink or a great food product. You know, if you can find that nugget somewhere and then you can tell all your friends about it, it makes you cool. So I think Angela's job was not to just say, okay, you know, it's to read the customer, to anticipate the needs, to to kind of assess whether or not she's a veteran customer or a new timer. And when you do that, then start opening up opportunities for them to experience new things, to product sample some things that they may not try, to say, hey, look, if you, you know, I saw you drink a, you know, have you been here before? You ordered a black coffee. Is there anything else? You know, would you like to try something else? Let me create something for you to try on me if you don't like it. Um, that's fine. That kind of messaging says, I'm more interested in you having a great experience here than feeling intimidated, daunted, and just getting you through the line as quickly as possible. Yeah, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's so critical to business days and, uh, you know, being open to, I call it uh, upselling with, a, with value. You know, you know, maybe you're uh, giving away a product uh, for 30 or 60 or 90 days for somebody to try out that if you're an IT professional, maybe it's spam filtering and you want to you know the client has a spam problem, but you you know they're they're hesitant about making that investment. Well, why not offer it up as a you know a free trial? And we're see, we're starting to see that more and more in the software business today. Uh, you know the free trials, try a product for 30 days prior to uh, you know uh, purchasing, so you get that experience. And once you get that experience and understand how it works, you can make that educated decision rather than to buy. And I think Starbucks kind of laid the groundwork, Joseph, for that. Well, I think that a lot of companies, you know, I think IT is doing a great job with that, frankly. I think that's one of those places where IT really gets that if you get somebody to use your product and feel value in your product, they're likely to sign on for the long term. Um, so give me a part of that experience and be willing to, to not be so fear-based. Now, obviously, you know, there's all the issues of people in your industry being able to replicate products so quickly that you have to be careful about your, your, uh, you know, your product patents and designs and all that stuff. But that said, you can't deny people an experience because I was down in Barbados recently. Um, actually, it was in Trinidad. I, I consult with a lot of governments, but I was in Trinidad, and I was amazed. I, they were asking me, how do we enhance the, you know, the tourist experience in Trinidad? And Trinidad's known more for their natural resources than they are for their, their uh, tourist experience. And I was just struck. I mean, every bookstore you'd go into in Trinidad, the signs would say, please do not touch the books. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I'm I'm from the United States where we have these great, not like unlike Canada where you have chapters or other, you know, wonderful bookstores. We have Barnes and Noble here, and you go in, you can get a Starbucks coffee in the in the Starbucks cafe, and then you can go right in and sit down and look at books, and it's so experiential, you know. And if if I don't want to buy the book, I can sit in Barnes and Noble all day and read it, and you run that risk. But I mean, I'd much rather be allowed an experience and then decide whether I want to buy it then be in the position of Trinidad where they suspect I'm going to steal or defile the books uh, and I'm denied any kind of an experiential offering. And I think chapters here in Canada really nailed that when uh, uh, I, was in, I was in the Pacific Northwest uh, back in the early 90s and it was, I was serving with the Canadian military at that time and uh, we were at Fort Lewis on exercise and, and they let us out for the night and I ended up in Tacoma and I went to this coffee shop called Starbucks. I'd never heard of it before in my life. We never had them in, in, in Calgary, at least, at that time. And I, met, I came back, and I, uh, I told everybody about it. And, you know, six months later, we had one in Calgary, and now we have several hundreds maybe in Calgary. I'm not sure. Lost yeah, count. No, they're absolutely, but, uh, and they're wonderful. I mean, and, and I think, I, I look at a Tim Nortons in Canada, and I think they've created their own kind of community, fresh experience. I love 
Tim Hortons, and I love the coffee there. It's a different experience than what Starbucks has, and, and they don't really compete any more than, you know, Dunkin' Donuts is definitely going after Starbucks right now, and they've aggressively advertised. Well, Dunkin' Donuts is the number one coffee provider in the United States, so they actually sell more coffee than Starbucks does. Their price point is much lower, and people don't think of it as a quality experience. Um, and Starbucks runs the risk now in this economy of becoming a discounter and getting into a position where they compromise their experience so much that um, you know they're going to be competing against McDonald's literally uh, for their for their livelihood. So I mean I think you have to know who you are and you have to be agile and nimble in these kind of economic times. But you got to know the experience you want to drive, and your people have to know it. And if I walked into your your consulting group and I said what is it that you do, they'd have to be able to say not only what they do on a technical level, but we also create these kinds of service experiences. And if they can't say it, they probably can't improvise to make it happen, because that's what ownership really means. It means that, that when you're not there as the owner, I can step in in your behalf and act as an owner would act. And unfortunately, most people in employment are not owners. They're maybe in one case scenario, they're just squatters. They're just on your property, and they're there at their own desire for as long as they want to stay, whether they produce or not is irrelevant. And then there's this group of people that are renters who are really care about the quality of the experience they have while they're there, but they're not into creating equity for owners. And owners, they really act as if all that they create, not only in the moment but for the long term of the business, is really something that, that affects them directly. So they do affect equity. So you know, I, when we get right down to it, I, I think we have a responsibility as leaders in business to say, what's the experience we want people to have, and how do I help my people shift from that squatter to that owner category? And I think that's so critical, Joseph, that you mentioned that. And uh, you know, ownership is, is, is key. And I, and I talk about WestJet and Starbucks the same way. Uh, you know, Tim Hortons here, you mentioned Tim Hortons. They have a unique uh, selling. I think they have a unique uh, type of client they're, uh, they're going after as well. So, I mean, there's lots of, lots of markets available. One of the things you, we, you know, we, I've mentioned a few times here in our, in our talk is, you know, I mentioned in our networking clubs at the Chamber of Commerce, is being involved in the community. I, I think more and more people are starting to get that, especially with the economic downturn. We're starting to see more and more people. I told, our, told you our club went from 20 to 70 this morning is making that attempt to uh, be involved in the community. In your reviewing Starbucks, they're, they're very involved in the community. What, did you, what unique things did you pick out from Starbucks around their community involvement? Well, one of the things I think is great about Starbucks is they get that the more people are involved in the community, it not only helps the brand be seen as a, a caring part of the community, but these people are from that very community. So if the company helps folks take care of their own communities, it's really good for the self-esteem of the employee. It reflects well on the pride that I have for being involved with my company. And believe me, being proud of my company is particularly important uh, to me wanting to stick around and be, be with it. One of my favorite programs that Starbucks has is something called uh, Make Your Mark program. And the Make Your Mark program basically says that if you want to volunteer in the community, assuming it's a you know a legitimate enterprise that you're volunteering in any involvement that you have in the community we will we will leverage up for you in other words we're not going to pay you to go and participate in your community but if you go and you read at your kids school for example we will make a matching contribution up to a maximum dollar amount for your hourly time in that pursuit so in other words you do it you volunteer your time we will then match it with your salary 
into a community, you know, community grant. So it says if you do good, we reinforce, we magnify the good that you do in the community. And I, I love those kind of programs, you know, that that don't disincentivize uh, altruism. They actually just say the more altruistic you are, the more impact we're going to to support you on. So from a from a business owner, supporting your team uh, and those in your company with their community involvement is uh, is critical to success, and also your company being involved in the community will uh, will give you that step up over uh, over some of your competitors who don't see any value in that, and also help increase your brand awareness out there. And from the smallest companies to the largest, you know the community can definitely need your help. We help Joseph. We help everybody here in Calgary. We run our own peer groups for entrepreneurs. Um, a, fr- a friend of mine and uh, myself run uh, a meetup group, calgaryentrepreneurs.ca is our website. And you can check us out. We do a lot of volunteer work to help the local business community and as well as some of the local charities. So you know, you can always get involved at some degree or another. And some people uh, can invest a little bit of time and some people can invest a lot more. But I think getting out there is critical. The well, next- one of the great things about you, sure. you know, when you're investing time and you get your people to invest their time and their talents, I mean, that's... Right now, as much as I'd like to think that there are a ton of people out there who are really jumping into the nonprofit sector, in this economy, many of the nonprofits are seeing a lot of the corporate giving go down substantially. And it begged the whole question of whether or not some of these people who were claiming to be socially responsible were doing it almost strategically as opposed to as a true part of what they believe is important to the sustainable success of business. I had a friend of mine who wrote a book. Uh, that was all about saving. It's called Saving the World at Work, um, and it was about monetizing corporate social responsibility. And the book did not sell well in this economy. People did not want to read about, uh, you know, the the financial possibilities that come around from giving. So, and I think that's really sad. Um, but but at the same time, my my whole purpose is you got to leave a mark. That that we have responsibilities as leaders of business to create businesses that last, and we also have some responsibility to create a legacy of leadership. And if more people in the financial institutions in the United States had thought about that instead of short-term return, I think we would not have had the meltdown that we're having, at least in this country. So you know, service serves us, whether we serve through transaction of our business or we serve in our community. The more we serve, the more we receive in return. But you have to think about serving first and not keep a ledger running. Oh, very well said, Joseph. I couldn't agree with you more. I blog quite a bit about servant leadership and uh, you know the, the, that impact it has in the community. You know, um, the next chapter I you know really um, really hit me was the one on everything matters. Principle number two, everything matters. And the quote that you have, I'm just going to read it off here for those that haven't seen the book yet. Uh, at the beginning of the chapter is one of those ones that just you know is going to sit with me for a long time, but you know it reads too often we underestimate the power of a touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, all of which have potential to turn a life around. It's un- unbelievable, uh, Joseph. All you know the littlest things. I've talked to people that have been friends for with me for years, and I ask them, see, what's the you know why did you do business with us or why did you? Uh, why do you know? Why are we friends? And you know what made that decision to uh, take our relationship to the next level? And I'm shocked. at sometimes you know people even say, "Is it because you returned my phone call when others wouldn't return my phone call, or you took the time to you know help me out when you know mo- I was nobody else would?" You know, and I find, I have like my friend Jen who runs our local Starbucks. You know, she uh, you know she, I go to her Starbucks quite a bit now. Just the fact that when I'm there, she says hi to me. 
you know, yeah. the littlest things make such a big impact. Is, is there any stories from, you know, from dealing with Starbucks that you would like to sh- uh, share with us? Well, I think I think when I when I wrote the principle, everything matters. Uh, there was a review in the Orlando Sentinel, and uh, the reviewer said, "Now that you know that really narrows it down a bit, doesn't it? Um, you know, everything matters." Is I think what what happens, particularly in retail, retail is detail, and I think we sometimes cut corners and we sometimes compromise experiences because you know we don't think about its impact on people. We we don't think about what happens when we make automated phone trees in terms of human need for a, a person to talk to? And that's why there's websites like dialahuman.com that get developed because people develop strategies to go around all the automated phone tree prompts uh, so they can immediately get to a live human being. Starbucks understood that they were creating this affordable luxury experience and this living room experience. And when you get it and you say, okay, every decision we make, and we have to be fiscally responsible, we have to be price conscious, but every decision we make has to drive that experience. Well, that means that when the bean counters at Starbucks, and that's what I call the financial people, when they came to you know, leadership and said, we can save tens, nay, hundreds of thousands of dollars if we go to single-ply toilet paper, seemingly inconsequential decision. In reality, the, the experience is, at every touch point, affordable luxury. And if that touch point is not affordable luxury because you've gone to single-ply toilet paper, you've denied what you promised through your brand. And so they, they held the line, and they said, we'll cut back other places, but we're not going to cut back on, on the quality of the toilet paper that people have. And you'd be amazed. This sounds totally bizarre, maybe even gross, but it, it, there were so many stories. When I solicited stories from customers, they said, you know, one of the things we love most about Starbucks is the clean bathrooms, and we love the accessibility of the bathrooms. And when we can't find restrooms in other cities, we don't just go to a Starbucks for that. I find that to be incomprehensibly bizarre, but you talk to a lot of restaurateurs, and they'll tell you one of the most important rooms in the in Entire, in the entire restaurant is the bathroom because people make decisions about, you know, how much do they really care at, about hygiene and cleanliness and every other aspect of the operation. So I'm telling you that simple decisions like do we go to single ply toilet paper, those decisions really matter in the long run. Well, you know, I, you know, I, I something gross about it, Joseph. I think that's one of the uh, most important things about any uh, restaurant is the cleanliness of the restrooms, and you can go to anyone, and you know, the number one complaint people have is. Uh, on the cleanliness of the restaurant restrooms and you know overall you know the littlest details i mean one of the things that canadian military uh, you know in, instilled on in us is uh, you know the paying attention to the finest details and i know my friend dana who lives in chilliwack is listening to us today can concur with me is that you know when you pay attention to the finest details the big picture just all in that, all of a sudden comes together and i think that's what starbucks has done is they do pay attention to the littlest details and you know they create that experience and we've talked about that for the last 30 minutes where everything does matter from the the smallest detail to the biggest uh to the biggest uh, big picture item on the uh, you know from the corporate head office. Yeah, I think the difference between good and great is the commitment to you know to excellence that's found in the details. I I uh, find many great providers of service to me. They're very good, but they're not great. And it shows up in the fact that they don't have quality improvement processes that deal with the breakdowns. Uh, it seems like they hold people responsible for breakdowns instead of looking for solutions that create breakthroughs. You can really feel those cultures. And I have so many great service providers who just 
operationally are excellent in the details, and uh, that's how they stand apart. You know, the difference between the gold and silver medal in most Olympic sports is fairly slim, and uh, the same is true between greatness and the details are, are the distinguisher. And, you know, Jeff, one of the things I've done in my business is, uh, you know, to keep in that, that train of thought here is that, you know, after every meeting I have with a, with a client, I take the time of sending them a thank you card. And I've gotten, you know, several deals just because of that. When you think of, you know, 90% of everything that we've done is the same as our competitors. What Again, getting back to that 10%, what separates us is sometimes it could be that thoughtfulness of putting a 52-cent stamp on an envelope and, and taking 10 minutes to write a personalized thank you. So well, and I'll tell you, again, my business, you know, as much as I write, my business is going out and speaking and consulting and and most of what I do is I say, okay, and there's a ton of magnificent speakers out there um, who charge more or less or the same as me. And, and so what's the, what's the difference that I want to create? And I, I want not to just come into a business and say, here, I can do a keynote and really entertain your people for an hour, hour and a half. My message is let's create experiences. So I have to, I have to live that, unfortunately. So that means I have to think through – how can I really add value by not just being an in-and-out keynoter who really dazzled them for an hour and a half? And that means from the moment that we have our first contact, my relationship with you is about saying, okay, how do I help you create the event that you want? Which could mean find somebody else other than me because I'm not the right guy because I don't know what you're, you know, I don't have the expertise in the area you need me to speak on. It could be, you know, me saying, how do I find out more about your business so that I can make this message far more relevant than the canned message that I could deliver in my sleep? It means, how do I help you market your event from the onset so that, uh, you know, I'm involved in whatever, yeah, I can use MP3 files that you, you know, I can do an MP3 file that says, you know, what does Starbucks have to say about your, your organization and the message? And I can embed an MP3 file in, a, in a, you know, an email blast that you send out just to create a little bit more of a personal connection with this audience that I'm going to be meeting at some point. In addition to delivering the keynote after the event, can I do something to reinforce the learning? Can we do a webinar you know, at three months? Can I complimentarily give that to you to uh, make sure that this is not just an event but an experience that goes on, a learning experience? Um, I find that you know, at the end of it, when I do my thank you gift, it's a gift that says, let's partner together to do good in the world. How about, you know, instead of me sending you a Starbucks gift card, what if we were to use that money in donation to something like freerice.com to deal with world hunger or whatever it might be? And, and I find that people gravitate to that far more than when – I'm, when I'm, you know, going head-to-head -head against really great speakers, they, the great speakers want to come in and do a great speech. And I think for me, it's really been the difference in my business. So I th what I'm trying to get at is that that thinking through the long-term touch points, like your thank you card, it's all the difference in the world between your brand and a brand that just says, thanks, we did your project, and it's over. And you paid me the money, and our relationship ends there. I had an opportunity to work with a, a former, a, a, new, a new client, but uh, somebody I did business with uh, many years ago, and... Uh, one of the things she said to me on the phone was that, you know, Stuart, we decided to go with your with your company, but I'm 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 assuming you already knew that. And uh, my response was, you know, in today's world, I don't I don't take anything for granted anymore. I mean, I I fight for every little piece of a business that I possibly can by offering value, but I don't take anything for granted. And I think Starbucks can relate to this, uh, Joseph, uh, that when you come in and have that you know have and have that experience. I don't believe they take for granted that you're necessarily going to come back. I think they, you know, every day they try to win your business. 
Well, repeat business at Starbucks average 18 repeat visits per customer. Now, it helps to have an addictive product. Don't get me wrong. Um, but beyond that, you can get that addictive product in a lot of different places. Why Starbucks? Why would I pass up somebody who sends me a coupon? And that's the question I always ask in my business. If somebody, if my competitor sent you know, my client a coupon that says they'll offer services at 20% less, why would a customer not be willing to be commoditized? And the only way that that's going to happen is if they have enough anxiety about, wow, if I went with that 20% discount, am I going to have quality? Is this person going to care about me? Is, am I just a wallet with legs to them? Or am I human be, a human being with all kinds of unstated wants, needs, and desires? Will they take the time to really deliver on those unstated wants, needs, and desires? And, um, you know, I have to work every single day to make sure that that message comes across. And so does Starbucks. So does every single business owner, every IT professional, every marketing professional listening today has to do the same thing. Exactly. Now, we've got about uh, 19 minutes left, Joe, so I want to kind of go through the last three principles here. Uh, the next area is around surprise and delight. I haven't got this far in the book yet, so maybe this is all new uncharted territory for it's me. It's my favorite part of the book. Yeah. Well, I'm looking. So I'm looking for. It's actually pretty uh, a pretty small chapter too, compared to all the others. So, you know, give me the. Uh, you know, why would I want to go home tonight and you know Bert and go through the last part of uh, chapter principle number two to, and read principle number three tonight in its entirety, or maybe tomorrow morning when I'm flying to Denver? Well, the, the answer really simply is that. People want predictable, so they want the, the delight of the predictable. It's like your jammies or your favorite you know, shoes or whatever. You want the predictable. But if all you have is predictable, then that becomes boring. Uh, and so there is this need for businesses to constantly look for ways to not only deliver the predictable, but to do something that surprises, that creates discovery, that, that does something emotional that you know, perks people up a little bit. And that is the key to satisfaction and happiness and joy. I mean, the research is all there. That, that They call it subjective well-being in science, but it means happiness. If you want your customers happy, you've got to not only satisfy them, but you've got to do something every once in a while that, that catches them offbeat. At Starbucks, for example, they, uh, last summer they did a, uh, uh, a Sunday giveaway. So if you went into a, a Starbucks store on a given day, you'd get an ice cream sundae. Now, they don't sell ice cream in Starbucks. They do have an ice cream brand that you can find in your supermarkets. But they had the complexity of delivering this surprise was bizarre. I mean, they had to FedEx ice cream all over the place. The end of the day, though, people went in and they had something they hadn't expected, and it created a conversation. And it's just a part of what you do when you care about people. That's why we have you know parties with and we we give people presents that they don't know what's in the present. It, it surprises them, and it should be something that's relevant to them. Um, that surprise element is so important to business. It keeps it fresh. It keeps you alert. That's what we kind of call that, and also, you know, that's the almost like the wow factor. You know, it you is. have to continuously wow your your clients and your prospects. And, you know, my card that I send out is a great example of a wow. They're not, a, they're not expecting that. They're expecting another IT company to come in and tell them all their – their, first of all, their, their story is usually all about them, the company who's doing the pitching, right. not about the client that they're right. trying to serve. And right. then they, they take for granted that their business is going to come their way, and they don't take that extra step to, to wow them. And I think the, one of the reasons that I've had some relative success in what I do is I go that extra mile to create that wow factor. I don't want to confuse a lot of issues, but I have a newer book out. It's uh, called The New Gold Standard, and one of my principles is deliver wow. And another principle is it's not about you. And when you said that just then, um, it was really key to to what I'm writing about nowadays a lot. That 
um, it is about wowing people. And that's the only way you stay in their heart. And, and that's the only way you can become beloved, which is my aspiration for all businesses, is to not just be liked, but to be loved. And love is, you know, it can't be commanded, it can't be demanded. It's a reciprocal relationship. It starts with loving first and then receiving love back second. And I think the only way you do that is you wow them. I know when I was going to get married to uh, my wife, I certainly wasn't, you know, I was I was shooting for wow. <laughs> I wasn't shooting for, ah, he's okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He'll do. My, my, my wife always, uh, you know, jokes around with me. And, I'm, you know, I think she's relatively seriously too, uh, Joseph, that, you know, before we got married, I was probably the, one of the greatest dancers. And now that I've been married 18 years to my, you know, this lovely woman, uh, I don't nearly dance as much as I should. And I think in order to wow her, I think maybe I, you know, should take her out dancing uh, next I week. I think you got to take her out dancing before you go out to, you know, on your trip tomorrow. You know, that's my point is if we spent every day in every relationship trying to wow the people around us, you know, just coming from this place of I want to do something that really, it, it kind of gets to you, that really reflects that I care about you. Wow, wouldn't you know what a different world we'd live in? And uh, so, anyway, that it's we get complacent in all of our relationships. So that surprise element is critical. And uh, you know, and it can it can be something you could do for you know a relatively low cost, free, or you know you can, whatever your budget allows. It's better. It's better if it's low cost or free, actually, uh, because and it, and it, yeah, it could clearer. be it could be anything. It could be you, you could do anything, and you know, you got to be uh, smart. I always to do think it cheap. Yeah. I could wow you with I could it. I could wow you with just an incredible amount of money, but that doesn't make me smart. That just makes me kind of financially irresponsible. <laughs> Good one. Uh, the next the next chapter is all about uh, embracing resistance, and I kind of was skimming through, and I I found a great piece here that you know something that I have always uh, lived by, and um, and even you know in a competitive world that we live, in, you know there's IT professionals no matter what uh, city, town, country you're in. There, there's abundance of, uh, you know, IT professionals, and you can, you know, we can debate, you know, if some are, if some are better than others for, for a long time. And, and same in the coffee industry, the same with speakers, same with authors. One of the things I have always lived by, uh, Joseph, is the old mantra of, you know, never try to beat our competition. I would rather partner with our com- competition. And, you know, the situation I'm in today, uh, the company I'm with, is because I took that mindset five years ago to partner with the guys I'm with now when I was at another firm. And you know what? Now I'm alongside with them uh, and doing business with them. Never try to beat your competition, or never try to beat them. Always join them. Uh, what insight do you have on you know, what Starbucks has done there, or you know, in your own personal life? You know, I, I think if you think about it, any growth comes with resistance. If you're going to try to strengthen a muscle, you have to use the resistance of weight. You know, seeds have to go through the resistance of the crust of the earth to, to pop through. And I think great businesses see resistance as an opportunity to train them to, to be more sustainable. So, um, you know, I, when, when I hear people being critical, I want to – and Starbucks has done this a lot. A lot of communities resist Starbucks because, again, of the ubiquity – Starbucks is very good about getting on the ground really quickly, listening to what the resistance is in the community, trying to understand what it's going to take for the community to feel receptive to that. Or maybe it's a product rollout or, you know, it's some business practice that they have. Uh, getting people who are likely to be your dissenters early involved in the conversations, they then become part of the solutions, and frequently they become your greatest advocates instead of the ones who are out there protesting in front of your shop on any given day. So I think the willingness to listen, that doesn't mean you take everything you hear and you implement it. It just means that you're receptive to understanding the issues out there. And people who only listen to their 
those who praise them tend to not grow very quickly. Those who only listen to their critics tend to not grow very quickly. It's embracing that resistance is helpful, but also not, you know, I, some of the critics on my books have, you know, I just don't think they could write themselves, let alone, you know, their critics, their critiques aren't that good. But sometimes they'll have an idea in there. So I think it's, a, it's this mindset that I will be open to your feedback and I will take some of it and I will leave some of it. And there are businesses that I think are great at that, and then there are those who don't ever listen, and they never take anything, or they take it all, and then they, you know, they, they don't really lead their business anywhere. One of the things you mentioned earlier in our conversation was the, uh, you know, trying to create that perfect experience, and you know, there's a rule in the uh, in the world that nothing is ever perfect, and everything can be improved upon. And this is, you know, I look at every opportunity where. A client may not decide, you know, may not go with our business, our company for their IT services. I always try to learn from that experience. What can I have done differently to have uh, won that business? And I just I see a lot of IT professionals, or you know, any business, small business owner, large business owner, they look at that and they try to, you know, they don't listen to the feedback that they get. Uh, and I think you touched on that as, you know, that's some sort of resistance if you don't win the contract. And what can you learn from that experience? Absolutely. And sometimes you'll say, I learned I can't be what they wanted me to be, which is fine. I mean, that's a cool thing to learn, too. One of the things about being excellent is knowing what you're strong at and not trying to be things you're not strong at. So, you know, it's outside of my area of excellence. So, fine, cool, glad to learn that. You know, I was chasing business that really wasn't in my wheelhouse. Then other times you can learn that I wasn't listening to this client. You know, my products aren't – I haven't refined my product delivery to the needs of the client – that's huge. You know, it's like, whoa, thank you for that. I couldn't have paid you enough. I couldn't have hired enough focus groups to teach me that lesson. So, um, yeah, I, I think resistance, you have to filter it, but you gotta, you got to listen to it at least. And the last part uh, on, your, on your book there, Joseph, is about leaving your mark. And, yeah. you know, I think that's key. And you got a, a good uh, quote there from Anne Frank at the beginning of that chapter about how wonderful it is that nobody need wait for a single moment before starting to improve the world. I think I see Starbucks as one of those companies that have improved the world. Uh, you just have to look around everything they've done in the community and, and across the uh, you know from corporate headquarters right down to the you know the the drive-through cafe on the end of the street. Is everything they've done they've left their mark on society. And, and that doesn't mean that they don't make huge mistakes. And some of the marks they leave are kind of ugly, you know, indelible marks. But the conscience of a company should always be. How do we, at the end of the day, uh, justify that we actually made a place a better place before we checked out? And I think every leader has to ask that too. What's my legacy? Um, is it just profitability on the short term, or is it creating a business that is sustainable and and that has a conscience? You know, and one of the things my uh, business coach worked with me on years ago, uh, and it was kind of morbid kind of thought, but she she asked me, says, you know, what would you like people to say about you at your funeral? And as an executive in a company. I think we kind of need to focus that way. So what would people say about us the day we're not here? Do they name, uh, you know, hospital wings after us, or do we go in that other category of, uh, you know, you want to talk about more people, people even know you're not even there anymore because you just kind of fizzled out? There are leadership consultants in China that literally put leaders in in caskets and have pallbearers carry them in their full live weight, and they set them in the casket and they have people talk about them all around the casket. Now, is that creepy or what? I mean, that's, yeah, that's kind of creepy. I don't know that I could go there. But the, you know, if you want to really have empathy, you know, you're sitting in your own casket, if you will, listening to people talk about who you were as a leader. Uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't need to have that real-life experience. 
Yeah, nor nor do I. <laughs> in, in, when you're uh, doing the research for this book and maybe during the writing uh, process, you had some uh, uh, exposure into Howard Schultz. Can you talk yeah. about your experience with Howard and, you know, was there an aha moment you got when you were talking about, you know, even that you took, you taken and put into your own uh, practice? Oh yeah, he's a multimillionaire who uh, walks around freely in his building and comes to the cubicles and celebrates the victories of his team members and anguishes over layoffs. And um, he's not a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I think he's one. There, he's one of those people you knew was going to be great. You know, I, I mean, I didn't know him early, but you saw all the things in him that said, God, there's no way this guy could have been anything but who he was. He had that entrepreneurial spirit. He believes that people can create great things and that people working together can, can change the world. And, and I've, I really adore what he does. And I'm constantly being asked about his decisions, you know, having written this book. And I always say, I'm not, I'm not good enough to judge him. Um, I can tell you what drives him and what drives this company, but I can't, I can't second guess him, and I'd never bet against him. That's wonderful. I mean, I would love the opportunity to, uh, you know, at least shake his hand one day and, uh, and uh, you know, and learn and just see what well, I can do. Well, maybe one day he'll want to shake your hand. He'll, he'll probably exactly. say, hey, look, you have so much to teach me. Thanks for all you've done. He's, exactly. he's really very humble that way. So, in fact, that, you'll just see there's a story in the end of our book where he went to, to Japan to talk about Starbucks, but he had such a great experience at a restaurant the night before that he ended up on all the TV shows talking about that restaurateur who actually ended the evening by putting him in his in his car instead of you know being in the kitchen. He was actually out at the door opening the car door for Howard, and he said, you know, I was so taken by that level of caring that I ended up talking about that restaurateur instead of Starbucks the next day on television. So he does. He's really impressed by people who care about customer experience. Well, you know, I, you can read all kinds of books out there, and I think Jim Collins mentioned in Good to Great uh, on uh, several occasions. Is that the the best the greatest leaders are the ones that are, are very humble and I have some mentors of mine uh, that I look up to and you know they're they're not these type of guys that are going to beat their chest on top of the mountain they're very humble they're in the trenches alongside with all the all their team members you know living it every day they don't they don't drive the flashy car or, or if they do it you would never know it yeah no I I think that the the leaders of Enron are no longer you know the kinds of people that folks want to follow, you know, that, that what's in it for me crowd. So Exactly. Uh, Joseph, I want to thank you for, uh, you know, spending the last 55 minutes with us. In, in conclusion of our time together, you know, if you had to share one aha moment that you got during this whole, whole process, it could be from this book, The Starbucks Experience, or dealing with the Pikes Place uh, fish market guys, or anything coming up. Is there anything that you would love to share with us that, uh, you know, could inspire you know, that casual IT professionals just happened to stumble upon our program today? You know, this is the greatest world we live in. I, I understand the, the angst and the pain and everything, but we we have opportunities, and IT professionals, I think, maybe even more so than others, to sol- solve human problems. And we can care about people and make their lives better. And I'll tell you, thank God for all that you guys do in IT because my life's a lot easier, a lot more efficient, and it's just a wonderful opportunity to do a lot of work internationally that I would not have done if it weren't for for the greatness of IT, I think if we forget about it, if we get lost in the weeds and the details of what we do and we get into code and we get into, you know, whatever, I mean, all that's important. But at the end of the day, when we're dying, you know, it's going to be what did we give? And I think that the great business leaders know that this is figuring out that we have a great – we should be so grateful 
every single day for the opportunity to make the world better. And we should also just understand that as we serve, our lives are enriched. And so to me, don't get lost in the code. You know, see the code as a vehicle that allows you to, to make the world better and to lift yourself up in the process, to truly be a service professional. Wonderfully said, Joseph. Thank you very much for your uh, investment and time in our program today. I really appreciate you coming uh, You are awesome. Don't aboard. give me the thanks. You're awesome, and, and I'm really honored to have been a part of the show. Thank you so uh, much. Th- thanks again. And uh, that was Dr. Joseph Michelli who uh, joined us today and talked about the Starbucks experience and everything that you know, learned. I've learned a lot from the, the last 56 minutes being on the, uh, on the program here. Uh, my name is Stuart Crawford, and uh, this is Small Business IT Radio. Normally, we're on every Friday at noon uh, Eastern Time, 9 a.m. on the West Coast. We'll be back to our regular schedule uh, this coming. Actually, we'll be back on April the 17th. I'm going on a little bit of a holiday. First time I'm taking a trip without my BlackBerry or uh, our PC in a long time. So I'm going away on holiday starting tomorrow, and then I'll be back uh, next week. And then, we have, of course, we have the Easter break, and we're not going to uh, do any programs on Good Friday because that would just... Uh, you know, nobody's going to be around, so we might as well just take the, that, that time off as well. So we'll be back on April the 17th, and we're going to be joined by Gene Hudson from ExecuCoach. And Gene is one of, uh, was the first business coach I ever worked with. And Gene has a unique commitment of getting out and talking to, uh, you know, wanted, wants, she wants to talk to a number of entrepreneurs over the, uh, over the next little while. She's a member of our local Calgary Entrepreneur Peer Group. And, you know, being in the true uh, essence of the go-giver and, uh, and serving the community, we decided to have Gene come on and talk about the services that she uh, she brings to uh, to the business community and how she can help uh, professionals and sales executives and business owners uh, with their struggles. As uh, Joseph mentioned, it's all about who we serve and how we serve. And you know, I recommend the Starbucks Experience book as a must read, alongside of uh, you know my good friend Bob Berg's book, uh, The Go Giver. You know, read both of those. Uh, you know, a challenge. Read them all before the end of April. They're you know the very easy read. I'm gonna. Joseph, I'm going to read this book by the end of uh, my vacation for sure when I'm sitting on the beach uh, next week in Mexico. I will have that book read, and I'll email you when it's all done. But, you know, take the time out and learn, uh, you know, servant leadership is, is key, and that's uh, how, we, how we serve in the community. So uh, I'm going to sign off for now. This is Stuart Crawford, and I will be uh, we'll back on April the 17th with another great episode of Small Business IT Radio. Until then, you can drop us an email at uh, info at smallbusinessitradio.com. Visit our website at smallbusinessitradio.com. Subscribe to our feeds uh, in your RSS reader or via iTunes. And, uh, you know, share your comments with us. We always like to hear how we're doing. So signing off now until April 17th. Have a great break uh, over Easter, and we'll look forward to talking to you again.